Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Yeah. So glad to see you. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. Those of you who are with us online, welcome. Hey, would you guys welcome all those folks that are watching with us today online? Yeah. You know, I thought we lived in San Antonio, but apparently we live in Seattle now. Everybody, the rain is, uh, we go from Sahara to Seattle. It's all good. We're, we're going to take all of it in over the next few weeks. If you're new to San Antonio, it's not like this normally. We don't normally have floods every single day of the week, uh, just, just right now. So we're glad you're here, and thanks for being with us, especially if you're a first-time guest with us today. It's our honor uh, I know that you could be just literally anywhere. You could be at any church. You could be at home, laying in bed, whatever you might want to be doing, but you're here, and it means so, so, so much to us. So um, thank you. Thanks so much for being here. A couple things before I jump in. Tonight, uh, we're celebrating our, our high school uh, seniors and a couple of college graduates as well, uh, right here at 6 o'clock. This is for anybody who wants to come, uh, and especially for the parents and the family of of some of our high schoolers. Some of our graduates were not allowed to bring everybody they wanted to to their graduations because of uh, restrictions in terms of people. But, so we thought, let's have, a, let's have a thing here. So even if you don't know everybody, you want to come out tonight, it'd be, it'll be a great time uh, at six. And then I got to celebrate this. Last Sunday, uh, Memorial Day weekend, we had 15 people uh, get baptized right here in service. So yeah, it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. And, and then the food bank, you just saw that. We're partnering with our food bank. We have several churches here in San Antonio that are our friends, and there's four or five of us together. We're trying to raise one million pounds of food for the San Antonio food bank. Yes, you heard that right, one million pounds of food. And so we're working together. Uh, so far, our church has around, I think, 40 or 50,000 pounds of food that having brought in either through money or actual food. Um, so thank you so much for those of you who are helping us with that. It's going to make a big difference in a time when people aren't thinking about the food bank. They think, they, they think about that in Thanksgiving and Christmas and holidays, but the summer they kind of get forgotten, and so churches uh, are coming in to support them. So thank you for helping us uh, do that. So we're in a brand new series called Gym Class. We're studying the book of James. Gym is short for James, thus Jim, J-I-M class. Everybody with me so far? Like I know you guys got out of school uh, this week, but we're going right back into class, gym class, everybody. We're going to build some spiritual muscles over the next few weeks, and it's going to be awesome. How many of you uh, have siblings? Would you raise your hand if you have siblings real quick? A lot of you do. Most of you do. Um, how many of you have that sibling that is just good at everything? Anybody have that sibling? How many of you would say, no, that's me? Come on, raise your hands. Just be honest. It's okay. I'm the one that's good at everything, right? Um, now, James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. So how's that for some pressure, right? Can you imagine his mom? Why can't you be more like your brother? Are you serious? He's God, you know? Like he's out back, you know, trying to raise a cat from the dead like, like he saw Jesus do, or I don't know, he's younger than Jesus, right? Trying to walk on water, sinking every time. He's like desperate to learn how to turn water into wine so he can take some behind the shed. Come on, y'all know, and sneak some back there. None of y'all ever did anything like that. I know you never did that. You know, I'm, I'm terrified because I remember talking to my mom a while back. All the siblings were together. I'm, I'm one of four. And we were talking about all the things that we did, and she was like, what? 
you know, she's 80, and she's like, what? And I was like, oh, that's coming for me too, isn't it, right? It's gonna, my kids are gonna be like, dad, you had no clue all the terrible things we did to you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anyways, um, so James is a, honestly, a kind of an intimidating book a little bit, just because of how, you don't have to guess what James is trying to say. Sometimes you're like reading that and going, oh, I don't understand that, so it's not for me, right? You can use that as an excuse, but not with James. It's filled with practical wisdom, and, and it's, it's, it's like, they call it the shoe leather epistle, meaning this is how you actually practice what you've been reading and, and what you've heard and what you've experienced. This is where you practice it. It's compared to the book of Proverbs from the Old Testament in terms of it's just like, hey, here's how you live life. It's different from any of the other books in the New Testament because when you read Paul's writings, you go deep. When you read the book of Hebrews, for instance, we don't know who the writer is. Um, you go wide when you re- read John's gospel, his epistles. It's abstract a little bit. It's a little bit mystical. But when you read James, it's just bam, right in your face. It's one of the general epistles, we call it, uh, meaning that it wasn't written to anybody specifically. So Philippine, the, uh, Philippines, Philippians, uh, written to the church at Philippi, Ephesians, but, but James, uh, Jude, First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, they're general epistles because they're just written to sort of everybody. And James is kind of a, a punch in the throat, or as I like to do, I like to every now and then I'll just flick my kids in their throats. It's a really kind gesture that I do to my kids, not in meanness, I'll just go, hey, and then they'll be like, come on, Dad! Well, James kind of does that too. Matter of fact, when you're reading through James, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna challenge you, all of you, to get into the book of James over the summer. Like, just read it one, one verse at a time. And when you read something, you're like, oh, man, I'm not doing that right. Just flick yourself in the throat. It's for Jesus. It'll help you. You with me on this? No, nobody's with me on this. Um, you know, when you're, it's, this is a letter that he's writing to, to people. Um, and normally when you write a letter, you just start off with some niceties. Hey, we miss you. It's been great see- seeing you. I saw the kids on Facebook. They're awesome. But James doesn't do that. Right out of the gate, he's kicking down doors, taking names. And you know his wife, uh, Mrs. James. I don't know what her name was. Um, she's like, James, you're going to run everybody off because James is a pastor of a church. You're gonna, everybody's going to leave because you're too straightforward. And he's like, whatever. I'm just going to say it like I see it. And so when you, when you, when you read James, it doesn't tickle your ears. Um, you know, the Bible talks about in the, in the last days there'll be churches that are, are known for just tickling people's ears, like saying whatever they want to hear. And James is like, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to say it like it is, and it's going to be the truth. And, and if you'll avail yourself to it, it will be transformative. And I, I really, I honestly believe that we all need, myself included, especially me, transformation in our lives um, because we have so many cultural Christians who are like, I go to church once a month and and you know some five times a year or whatever and and that's you i'm not i'm not trying to beat you up but a lot of times there are church people who are like uh i come to church this one time and then i just do whatever i want the rest of the time and i don't i don't believe god's pleased with that i believe that the bible is meant to transform us into the image into the likeness of jesus and if that's not happening in your life and in my life then we got to second guess ourselves we, we really do because I think Jesus wants to do a work in our lives. And so what's so great about James is it's the first book written in the New Testament around AD 45 to 50, somewhere in that range. It's the first one. Now it shows up towards the end of your Bibles, but it's actually the very first one um, that is written. And, and so all of the things that you're gonna read here are not things that were sort of evolving through that first century Christianity. No, he starts out of the gate with this stuff. Like it's right out of the gate. And so here we are, James chapter one, you're caught up with, with James. James 
a servant of God. I love this word servant because James is actually a big deal. He's the pastor of all of the churches in Jerusalem. And, and he's like, the, the, like the, one of the main guys. He and Peter are the main guys there. And not only is he a servant of God, but he's the brother of Jesus. So like if it had been me, it'd be like Danny, brother of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Street, instant street cred. Like word on the street is this dude is serious because his brother's Jesus, right? But he doesn't do that. Servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. Now I want you to think about this. You all who have siblings, you raise your hands. What would it take for your brother or your sister to declare themselves the Messiah and you believe them, right? You're like, I'd have to come back from the dead, right? Yeah. Well, that's exactly what happens here because James, if you read the scriptures, James and his brothers and sisters, they don't believe in Jesus at first. They don't believe in him, but, but by, the, by the end of it, they're like, hey, I'm a servant of my own brother. So like, I don't know about the Bible. I don't know about Jesus, like this is pretty good proof right here that a sibling says, I'm a servant of my own brother. That's a big deal. So to the 12 tribes, this is a word I want you to emphasize with me, scattered among the nations, greetings. Now, let me set this up. In Acts chapter eight, so it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. We find the Christian church being birthed by chapter eight, chapter nine, we're seeing that the church is being persecuted right out of the gate. So uh, chapter eight, we find there's Stephen. He, he's, a, he's a follower of Jesus. He's being stoned to death, not like Colorado stoned. Come on, can I get an amen? But like, like rocks on the head stoned. And from that moment, from that moment, the, the Christians start scattering. They're, 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 they're fleeing from the city. They're fleeing out into the country. They're fleeing to other towns. They're going into Italy and into Turkey and, and all over the Mediterranean Rim. They're going all over the place. And, and, and so on the one hand, it's exciting for them because it's like this new faith. It's taking root. It's, going, it's blowing like wildfire. But there's persecution. It's scary. People, people they, they knew had been killed. There's an emperor in, in Rome called Nero. He's using the Christians as, as torches, like their bodies. He's, he's feeding them to lions. He's using them in the gladiator games. And so they're, they're running. And, and so the Jewish diaspora is in full effect, and they're just fleeing all over the world, which we find them all over the world now and part of this starts right here and just before this so James is pastoring his church but they're not allowed to gather they're not allowed to gather and we know exactly what that feels like so the phrase scattered among the nations is telling because the first century Jews would have believed that oh the the the, the announcement that God has come to earth that the kingdom of God is here is that all of the tribes would come back together under one banner the Jewish nation would be intact instead they find themselves exactly the opposite. So James is not writing to a gathered together all under one roof kind of a community. Instead, he is writing to a dispersed, where is God at community? That's who he's writing to. And so he writes these amazing words. And I love that he starts where he starts because he's saying Christianity works, following Jesus works best actually when it's hard. Jesus will be at his best in your life when life is hard and there are certain days and I think even if you're not a believer you could say yeah sometimes life is hard right? I think we can all say that and James says this is where God's at his best in his work so James chapter 2 I, I highlighted these words consider it um, and if you have your Bibles by the way this is a this is a paper Bible I know that many of you don't know what that is pa students this is paper um, 
It has a feel to it. Um, it's interesting. But there's something about having a real Bible in your hand. I, like, I, I read a lot of scriptures from my phone, honestly. But there's something about being able to write in, underline, make some you know, doodles or whatever to help you emphasize the Bible. The Bible, not only does it, do we need to get into the Bible, we need the Bible to get into us. Amen? So bring your Bibles over the next several weeks. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face... This means to fall into unexpectedly. That's what the Greek means. When you face trials of many kinds. So what we know is it's whenever you face, meaning if you go to to Vegas, what are the odds that you're going to face a trial? 100%. James is saying 100%. Just go ahead and lay money on the fact that somewhere in your life, you're going to have hard, hard times. Well, I don't know if I want to have a God like that. Well, that's just the kind of God that we all, this is life, right? So it's inevitable but they're purposeful, right? The trials are purposeful. They're gonna, they're gonna do something for us, but they're also unexpected, and, and, and there's many kinds, financial, relational, uh, career, health. There's kind of trial, all kinds of trials. Consider it pure joy. So he's like, yeah, I want you to get super happy whenever bad stuff happens. And you're like, I, I'm already out, bro. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, it's like, it's like I'm supposed to go, hey, my wife's divorced me. I lost my job. Woohoo! Right? Some of you be like, hey. No, it's just don't do like, or, or like, you're like, dri- I was driving a car to, to work the other day, and I crashed into somebody, and now the Texas hammer's involved, and he's hammering me for 400K. Woohoo! Right? Anybody know the Texas hammer? <laughs> we will hammer you, you know. Um, Sorry, don't, don't sue me. <laughs> um, let's be honest, when you're in a trial, when you're in a season where it feels dark or difficult or discouraging, our emotions tend to be all over the place and, and we can feel sometimes clearer than we can think, right? You, can, you know exactly how you feel, but you don't know what to think about how you're feeling. So, so let me just say then what trials are not. Trials are not sent to us by God to punish you. It's gonna feel that way sometimes, but that's not at all what's happening. A trial doesn't mean that he's failing you or that he's forgotten you. The Bible says that God says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you, meaning he's not even capable of such an act. He's incapable of forsaking you because if he were capable of it, it would make him a liar. And the Bible says there is no possibility that he can lie. No possibility. But, but it can feel that way when you're in the middle of a dark season. He's not out to get you. But here's what I want you to know. We said this last week. He will never waste your pain. He will, never wa- he will always use the bad things that happen. He didn't cause all of them. But he will always use the bad things that are happening in your life for your own good. If you work with him, he will make certain that you come out better on the other side of the trial. So back to verse two, there's this word that we often miss. It's the word consider. He says, consider it pure joy. Consider, a deliberate look at, right? Consider it. Consider the trial that you're in. Consider the pressure that's mounting. Consider the, the, the challenge that's going on. I want you to consider it because your first instinct is going to be to go to your feelings and how scary and how fearful and how angry and how worried and how anxious this and he's like no 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 and, and I, I want you to stop and consider it an opportunity and I know that's super hard because some of you have been through some really 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 challenging things so the notion that you could stop and consider maybe there's a benefit here see 
I cannot control the circumstances in my life. I can't. Things happen. But I can control my response to them. And he says, so I have a thought for you, and, 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 and I have an idea. In other words, I want you to have a new frame of reference when you're going through trials of many kinds, that, that there's something good in it for you. Don't just immediately go to how you feel. Think about it. How do you interpret it? Stop and consider it. Why? Because what you believe about the problems, the adversity in your life has much to say about how you're going to respond to them, right? And James is saying, whenever you face a trial, a difficulty, I want you to consider not just the negative, not where your mind goes immediately, not the helplessness, not the fear, not the the anxiety. I want you to think bigger than that. There's a purpose in this somehow. Consider it. You know, a trial has the potential to teach us something amazing about ourselves and about God. When, when a trial comes, it's, it's a test. Now, a test can be a good thing if you're prepared, right, students? Or it can be a bad thing if you're not prepared, like, like pop quiz, dear God, I'm sick, I'm gonna go outside and, and pass out, and then they can't make me take this test, so I can't fail it, right? Um, and, and when it first hits, a trial, a, t- a test will feel like an attack. And he says, I want you to know this. It's a test. Think about tests. A test is given to see what you know, right? Like, it, it, it's, it's given to see what your aptitude is in a given subject. Testers are given to see whether or not you're ready to move up to the next grade or the next level. Uh, uh, like a how, never level. Are you ready to, j- sorry, I can't read level and not say that. Um, test reveals something about the ones being tested. Now you may say, well, well why would a, a loving God allow, allow bad things to happen in my life? Well, let me explain it like this. Those of you who have kids, you, you do this to your own kids. Like God tests you and you create trials and tests for, for, for your own children. Right? And you're like, what do you mean? Well, you allow them to suffer for many years because you know it will make them better. Every morning for nine months out of the 12, you drag your kids kicking and screaming out of bed and you tell them to get ready for what? For school. And, and they're like, I don't want to go. I feel sick. Like, I, I, my throat. I feel pukey. And, and you're like, you're going to go. Like, and it's a thing because they did a whole movie called Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? It's a thing, right? Kids don't want to do this. And you're like, you're going. And they're like, it's torture. But it's good for them. And, and you hope at the end of the 13 years of trial, they'll graduate and be able to pay their own bills. Can I get a, can I get a witness, somebody? I have one graduating tomorrow night. And that's the goal, right? The Bible says to train up the children in the way that they should go. Come on, somebody. I mean, I love them, but, you know, just a little help. Gently. Um, God is interested in you growing up and you moving on to the next level in the same way that if you have kids, you want them to grow up and move on to the next level. And this is why tests are part of life. They're purposeful. But here's the things. They don't automatically produce good results in and of themselves, For some people, your trials have destroyed you on a level. Instead of getting better, you've gotten bitter, right? You you, you have, instead of become a victor through the trial, I'm gonna see a victory, you become a victim. And now you're looking at life through the lens of of victimhood. And and I promise you, that's not gonna get you anywhere good in this life. Uh, and, And ultimately, it's how you see the adversity and how you believe about it. And that's why we say, that's why James says, consider it. Because it's important that you do. 
James says, I want you to consider there may be a different way to understand it, a, a different way to process the pain. And here's what he says. He's gonna give us the reason. James 1, chapter two, because you know, or verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance, steadfastness, the ability to stand under the pressure and stick to it. And what, what's happening here at the heart of at the very first verses of James is like, hey, you're scattered and, and life is hard and you're going through trials right now in, in all the various places that you've been. Many of you have lost people. Many of you have been kicked out of your homes. Many of you have lost your way. You've lost your career. You don't know what ends up. You're in new towns. You're like, how did I get here? And I want to tell you right from the beginning how to think about what's happening to you. I want to give you a framework, a reference point to process your pain. So he, he gives us some, some perspectives. Number one is that trials purify my faith. He, he uses the phrase, the testing of your faith. And this word is the kind of word that you use when you're talking about taking gold in its rough form and making it pure gold, right? So that you take the gold and you, and you put it into the fire and the dross, the, the, the impurities come out and, and they skim it off or it burns off. And, 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 and so Job, um, a famous character in the Old Testament, he has this famous line, he says, but he knows the way that I take and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as, as gold. See, we like gold. You, you wanna be kind of gold. We want the victory, but we don't want the process that's involved in the creation of gold. So like we like this verse in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled faces, this is a, a nod to Moses uh, at the mount. I don't have time for it, but beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and, and, and we're all being transformed into the same image. This is the image of the Lord, Jesus, from glory to glory, and we love that part, and we sing songs from glory to glory, and we're moving, we go from glory to glory, and everybody, like, woohoo! But we forget that we're being transformed. We're being molded, we're being shapen, we're being pressed down, we're having a hard time. And, but, but the process is what produces the glory, right? Gold gets refined in fire, but fire doesn't destroy gold. You with me? It doesn't destroy the gold. It refines it, but the process is harsh. Now they use chemicals to do this. They still use fire, but they also use chemicals. But the end result is beauty and perfection, so purif it purifies my faith. Secondly, uh, trials reveal and reshape my character. The, the word James uses for trial the, is the Greek word pirasmos, and it means an, an experiment or a proving. It's meant to reveal something. It's a test. Reveal what? The defects of our own character. It's almost like a stress test. I, I had one of these one time where they put you on this machine and they're testing your heart to see if there's something wrong. And, and sometimes they'll even use a kind of dye to contrast so they can see the good and the bad. And, and there, there's gotta be this contrast. This happens to us when we face adversity and we discover something about ourselves that we may not be comfortable with. So the challenges that we face don't just test us, don't just purify us, they reveal us. Crisis is a revealer it does it brings to the surface what wouldn't come to the surface without pain and this is so often true for me i find things in my own heart that i'm not comfortable with that i wish weren't true sometimes our trials reveal that we have an anger problem 
Sometimes our trials reveal that we have a sense of resentment about other people that we can't even see them without going, man, you make me mad. Man, you disgust me. Sometimes our struggles can reveal that we're motivated by greed or by envy. Sometimes our trials uh, help us to realize that we just believe that the world revolves around me. Like everybody else is supposed to just get in line around me. And, And if I'm being fully transparent, I've learned some things about myself in the past, I don't know, year and 12, three or four or five months that I didn't like learning about myself. The pressure got applied, some, some flaws in my thinking, some flaws in the way I thought about some people. I don't think I would have seen any of this had it not been for the crisis that was 2020. It brought to life, to the surface, things that I don't like. And now I'm going, oh, wow. Got to flick myself in the throat. <laughs> Sounds kind of awesome. Okay. Now I have a big red, it's not a hickey, y'all. It's just a red mark where I've thump myself (laughs) you guys are like this guy's a preacher (laughs) he's a pastor what kind of church is this all the new people there's a philosopher named uh, Paul Tillich and he says suffering takes people beneath the busyness of life suffering takes people beneath the busyness of life and reminds them that they are not who they thought they were suffering does that that's what James is saying and I want you to consider this suffering an occasion for joy if for no other reason than you discover a truth about you that you did not want to admit. I I want that you stop pretending to believe or be something that you're actually not. Maybe part of the challenge you're facing is not the problems that are out there. Maybe the problems are in here. And James says trials reveal what's going on inside your heart, inside your mind. Maybe there's something that you need to learn to confess or forgive, a struggle beneath the struggle in your career or with money or where your life is going. But a trial doesn't just reveal my character, it also allows God to work to reshape my character. So James says the testing of our faith produces, in other words, there is a product that is born in people that cannot be produced in any other ways but testing. There are no shortcuts. There are no hacks. There are no workarounds. I just want to live a life free of pain. Let me tell you something. You will not accomplish one thing in this world that's good if there's not some pain involved in your life. You won't, you won't, you won't, you won't build anything lasting that didn't require some pain, some effort, some work, some challenge. Can I get a witness, somebody that's lived a minute, right? So what that means is that there is a purpose in the pain, in the process, in the challenge. In the, so, so Paul comes back and writes in Romans 8, 28. He says, God causes all things. He doesn't cause them, but he causes all things to work together. How, somehow all of these disparate things that are like, like randomness, he causes them to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Great verse. We write songs about it. God is making all things work together for good. But here's the next part, because God's going to tell us how he does this, right? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become what? Conformed to the image of his son. That word conformed, that pressing, that purifying, that shaping, that molding is painful, but all of the, the things that are happening that are all that seemingly random are working together for good to conform us to the image of Jesus. And that's the goal 
of God in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Why do all things work good for good? To make me more like Jesus. God wants me to conform, to shape, to purify into the image of Christ. So, in fact, I'd say this is the number one goal for, that God has for you. So, so think about Galatians 5.22. It starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And how many of you ever realized when you, if you've ever looked at the fruit of the Spirit, you're like, I must not have that yet. Um, and then your, your children are like, no, you, you like have maybe two of those. And that's only because you're on meds, you know. It's the only reason, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. I mean, it's not something I earn or deserve. God gives it to me by His Spirit. But all of them are not working on equal footings in my life, right? For, for instance, I am not patient. I don't, this is not a good, this is not the fruit of, of that's at work in my life right now. So how does God get that working in, in my life? He gets that oftentimes by teaching us uh, by putting us in the opposite situation. So if he wants to teach me how to love people, he'll put me around unlovely people. And you're like, oh, that's why I work at that job. Makes sense now, right? right. If he wants to teach me about uh, a peace, he, he, he's gonna let me experience some chaos. And you're like, the dinner's burning, the phone won't stop ringing, the cat grabs the dog, the kid's diaper's dirty. This is where you learn peace. You don't learn peace on the beach in St. John. Anybody has peace there. It's no special gifting. I have the fruit of the Spirit, you know. No, you don't. You paid a lot of money to have that. Show it to me when, you're, when it's chaos, and then I'll believe you that you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. This is how God does this. He puts me in situations that test me in those areas. Oh, I'm not very patient. Right? I'm still on a kindergarten level when it comes to patience, y'all. I'm still, God's at work in my life. The trials, number three, the trials make me stronger. This is the last one. The music's playing. You're like, oh, I've heard that before, bro. I know how this goes. Right? We're almost done, right? Consider it a good thing. Consider it joy. Con consider it joy when you go through struggles because they can make you stronger. Back to verse three, because you know because you know the testing of your faith. Pretend like it's, it's there. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, perseverance is not like passive. Like I just sit there and just try to survive. No, no, it's active, right? It's staying power. It's endurance. It's the ability to keep on keeping on, to hang in there. The Greek here is literally the ability to stay put under pressure to stay, listen, to stay under pressure because we live in a world that says you're supposed to be on top of all your problems. You're supposed to be at the top of your game. And James says, nah, there's gonna be some season where you're gonna be actually just under it, under the pressure. And that's what perseverance is. Like when I'm under pressure, I stick it, I stick it out. Because we need, we need a lesson in perseverance because so many people, even in the last year, just walked away from faith, walked away from God because they had no staying power. In other words, you gain something you wouldn't otherwise have when you go through a struggle. You, you, you grow in a way you wouldn't otherwise grow when you grow through a struggle. You, you gain the ability through the little seasons of testings to get through stuff that feels ungetthroughable, if I can use that. You endure, you persevere, you endure the storms, you go through, you don't give up. 
And what this means is that you become more godly, you become more like Jesus. The trials will be used to transform you into to the image of Christ. But honestly, sometimes the best, best picture of faith is I'm just hanging in there, man. I love the way Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, therefore, put on the whole armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, so this can mean a lot of things, but one of the things that it means is when it feels like evil things are happening in your life, evil things are happening around you, when that day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, like you keep just getting waylaid and it's wave after wave and beat down after beat down, after all that's happened, you can still stand. Every little pet test you're passing through life, every little challenge you're passing through life, you're, you're getting an A, you're getting a B. Some of you are like, I got maybe a D minus. Well, as long as you didn't get an F. Come on, just can I get a witness? Everybody? All of these are, are giving you the ability to stand under, under the pressure when life gets really hard, when the, really th- the bottom falls out. And we have these moments in, in life where we want to quit, we want to give up, we want to walk away because it feels like God let me down or God's not there. But when you read the scriptures, what you come away with is that God is in the business of transformation. And the best kind of transformation often happens if you read the Bible in the wilderness. That, that solitude that John the Baptist had, that, that Jesus had, that Peter had, that Moses had, became the furnace of transformation. It was the pain, it was the struggle, it was the loneliness, it was, was where's God? All of that became the furnace of transformation. And God does his best work, and, he, and, 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 and we'll say, well, God doesn't love me because he's allowed me to go there. No, 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 this is proof that God loves you. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, the Bible says. Well, I don't want a God like that. Well, get ready, because that's the kind of God you got, because he's interested in your best, not your worst, not your average, your best. He wants to bring out the best in you. He wants to turn you into gold kind of a person. So James says, I want to finish here, but there's going to be a finish line to your struggle, to your pain. It doesn't feel like there's a finish line. It doesn't seem like, how am I going to get out? But there is a finish line. Look at verse four. Let perseverance, so there's a, there, there is, the testing is producing perseverance, but per- perseverance is going to produce something as well. Perseverance, let it finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, now notice James doesn't describe, describe the finish line. This is the finish line. This is the finish line. And, and the finish is this mature, complete, not lacking anything. That's the finish line. But notice he doesn't, he doesn't construct that in terms of a circumstance that's happening in your life. In other words, he's not saying one day your marriage is going to be perfect. One day your kids are going to be perfect. One day your job will be perfect. One day your finances will be perfect. He says, no, no, no. One day you will be perfect. You will be complete, mature, whole, not lacking anything. So something more important than just getting through something, this moment, this time, this season is at stake. Something more important is in the challenges that you're facing in your life right now. You are at stake. Your heart is at stake. And, and, and for some of us, our eternity is at stake because we still haven't said yes to Jesus, to, to following Jesus. And I, and I love how the writer Dallas Willard, who's gone on to be the, with the Lord, frames it. He says, the main thing God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish. It's the person you become. Because, because we're not human doings. We're human beings. 
And we can think, oh, what, what it means to follow Jesus is all the stuff I do. No, no, no. It's the person you become. That's what God's interest in. That's what James is saying. It's about you. God is trying to form you. God is trying to shape you. You're, you're under trial. You're under pressure. You're in the difficulties. You're, under, you're, you're, you're feeling like, like all hell is breaking loose in your life. No, 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 no. If you'll stop and consider it, oh, yeah. James said there will be days like this, moments like seasons like this. Yes, it stinks. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's confusing. Yes, it's disorienting. But I'm going to stop and consider not just my feelings. I'm going to stop and consider, okay, God, somehow, some way, you're going to bring good out of this situation. It doesn't seem possible right now, but you will bring good out of this situation. And so here's the thing. Here's the challenge. When you're in a trial, when you're facing a challenge, I want you to remember, if you don't remember one thing, remember this. You read the writings of James. Inside that challenge, inside that difficulty is a promise embedded. Count on it. That God still has you in the palm of his hands. Well, it doesn't feel that way, Danny. Trust me. God still has you in the palm of his hands. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience trials of whatever kind because God still has you. Do you see this now? Do you see if you reframe the trial, if you consider it, the trial, the test, if you can just reframe it, you can start to see God's hand at work. Particularly when you're coming through the other side of the trial, you can look back and go, oh, now I see what God was doing. How many of you have ever experienced this? Raise your hand if you've ever experienced like, oh, okay, now I see why I didn't get that job. Now I see why that relationship didn't work out. Now I see it. Because you have the benefit of hindsight. But what you have to remember is when you're going through a new trial, there is coming a victory. There is coming goodness. There is gold coming out of this. That's the promise of Scripture. And I love how the writer of Hebrews says it. I don't have this on your notes, but he says, for the joy set before him For Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy that was set before him. You know what the joy was? You. Jesus endured the cross and all of the pain and the suffering for you, for the joy that was set before him for you, that he could look beyond the pain, beyond the tomb, beyond the cross, because on the other side of it was victory and triumph and salvation for you and for me. And so the writer says right before this verse, so we're supposed to run our race well, right? We're supposed to run our race well. And he says, with perseverance and in the struggle and in the trial, he says, I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the beginner, the beginning and the finisher of my faith. That he who has begun a good work in you will perform it all the way through. That's the promise that's embedded in your challenge, in your struggle, that you can count it joy because right in the middle of it, there's a promise that you're coming out on the other side and you will be a better version of yourself than before you went through the trial. So, last verse, last verse. This is verse 12. I had to skip a a lot of goodness, but I want to give you this. Do we have this? Okay, Uh, I I gave it to y'all late. It says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. So we've heard all of this but there's something even more than what we're talking about. Even more than a better version of you, there's much bigger things at stake. Blessed is the one who perseveres in a trial because having stood that test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. He's talking about heaven, y'all. 
He's talking about an eternity with Jesus. The people who can stand fast and not get blown around. He, he goes on and talks about being blown around by uh, every wind of doctrine. We're, we're unstable in our way, ways. We're double-minded. He goes, no, no, no. The people who can just stand firm, there's a crown of righteousness for them at the end of it all. And that is ultimately what's at stake here. Amen, somebody? Let me, let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so, so, so much, God, for your word, for your promises. Thank you for James. God, writing these challenging words, these difficult words, and we're just, gonna, we're just scratching the surface right here in four verses. But Lord, I believe that over the next several weeks, God, if we'll lean into this, if we'll get our own Bibles out and we'll start reading these verses just one after one, just God, speak to me through these words. God, let, let the words of Christ, Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in me richly in all wisdom. God, let that happen in me. Don't, don't let me just be a, a hearer of the word James is gonna say later on, but let me be a doer of the word, God. Let that happen in us. Let, let good ground be broken up in our hearts and our minds, God, that we can be spiritually transformed. Like, I know it's summer, and I know a lot of people just sort of check out during the summer, but let that not be true of us in this year, God. May we lean in like never before. May we put down roots because when we plant roots down by rivers of living water, we flourish, we grow, we produce fruit in our season, God. That's the promise of Scripture. God, let that be true of us. Let we grow, that we learn, that we look to you, Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. God, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. God, we're grateful for the cross. We're grateful that when we look to the cross and when we believe in what you did on the cross and when we confess you as Lord and when we confess you as Savior of our lives, God, we can be made right with God. We can begin a brand new relationship with you. And some of us just need to do that right here, that our very next right step is just to sort of bow the knee to God. Say, Lord, I want you to come and, and be the forgiver of my sins and, and be the healer of my heart, God, and be the, the mender of my broken places, and I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow you like James did. God, all the way through that you're beginning something in this day, on this day, God, but you're going to complete it. You're going to perform it all the way through, and we thank you for it, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name, and everybody said a good amen, would you? Amen. Come on, come on, let's give the Lord a hand, would you? Amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.